0: Welcome to the Women of TBC podcast. You'll hear content from women's Bible studies and other women's events. For more information, visit timblebiblechurch.org. I'm so excited to introduce Leah to you. She is, spent a huge blessing in the life, my own personal life and in my family's life. She's worked with my two sons in youth and been a huge blessing, she and her husband, Chris, to them. And I'm just so excited. i, I I didn't know if she'd say yes, but I, I, really, I really wanted her to give this a try. And so we're excited to just hear what God has to teach us through his servant, Leah. So let's pray for her, and she's going to get started. God, we, we just thank you for the work that you are doing in Leah's life. And we thank you, Father, that you, uh, that you have saved her by grace through faith, and that you have given her good works to do as a part of your body, the church. And we just glorify you for it. We're just thankful for that. And we're thankful that, that we all work together to bring you glory. And so, God, I know you have taught her in her own personal study this week, as you have taught us and as you've taught us at our tables. So we're just asking you to um, to just move Leah aside and speak to us through her and help us to listen well and to hear what you have to teach us. And we give you all praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Do you have clicker? Oh, I'll get it. Okay.
1: Hey y'all, like Amy said, my name is Leah and I am really excited to be here with you today. I should have brought a picture from my wedding. Um, I was, my husband Chris and I got married three years ago last week. Um, right here and in the pictures my husband's 6'3 so he's a little bit taller than me so in the pictures my dad who's also here was doing the ceremony and he said you may now kiss your bride I was on the top step wearing six inch heels and Chris is two steps down giving us our first kiss so I almost included that but I didn't um and the other, when Amy said I didn't know if she would say yes, I didn't know that I was going to say yes until Lenny was like, "Hey, I hear you're teaching Ephesians with me." I'm like, "Ha <laughs> I had not confirmed with Amy yet, and she's like, "No, you're you're going to teach with me." I'm like, "Okay." Um, so before we get started, I want to give you a little framework um, of where we're going with our text today. We're going to do Ephesians two one through ten, um, and the breakdown that we're going to say is maybe. Oh, it is. Sins work against us, God's work for us, and God's work in us in order to work through us. Um, Before we get to that, I want you to take you take you back to a pivotal point in my life. So I was raised in the church. My dad, who is sticks out like a sore thumb in here, because he's the only male in here, Um, he was a pastor growing up. I am blessed to be a third generation follower of Christ. Um, I grew up going to church, going to Bible study, going on mission trips, eventually led the Bible studies, led the mission trips. um, And my life changed in October of 2014 because of the book of Ephesians. So I reached out to Beth Mackey in 2014 and said, hey, I want a mentor to kind of... I didn't know how to study the Bible like I thought that I knew how to study the Bible. Um, She set me up with a mentor who is not in this room, and she would probably be mad if I said her name, um, and she suggested that we study Ephesians as our first book of study, and I was wrecked. My entire viewpoint of life, sin, and God was changed based off this entire book, but off of these 10 verses specifically. I feel like well, now I reference Hebrews, and I reference Judges and Joshua, and now, again, Ephesians, because when you study it this in depth, it, it should change your life, and it should change the way that you, um, you think about things. So one of the things that my mentor had me do was write down every identifier of who I was in Christ as we read through the study. And this was a list that I came up with at the end of it. Um, this is, I go back to this all the time because when I don't know who I am, what is my purpose, what am I doing here, where is God, I go back to this list because Ephesians tells me who I am in Christ. Um, so today I want to specifically address the, the women who, like me, grew up in the church um, please hear this message, and not the words that I'm saying, but the words that the Holy Spirit gave to Paul, and let it transform your life. Um, salvation is a theological concept, but I think that because of that, we can get numb to grace, and I don't want that to happen. Um, I, I want you to warm your heart and meditate on what God has done, and not just be like, oh, nope, that's what it is, and um, let it transform you. So now we're going to talk about death and wrath. So, sins work against us. Ephesians 2, 1 through 3 says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. The first thing we see is that we were dead. What is death? Death means that all capacity and longing for God is lost. It's separation from God. We are completely unable and incapable of saving ourselves. We get this from Adam, our fleshly father. Romans 5.12 says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spreads all men because all sinned. This wasn't by God's design. God's design for humanity's relationship to one another and to himself was very good. But in the garden... And in a big theological concept called federal headship, Adam chose sin and rebellion, and those decisions stay in the heart of us who are pre, pre-Christ. Um, and this means that ultimately, death and rebellion continues to reign in our hearts. This is our sinful nature, what, what Ephesians is talking about. Um, it's from our very first breath, or something that some of the psalmists argue happens even before our first breath. Our greatest sin is placing ourselves above Christ, so letting myself become the chief authority and rule, heeding what I desire over what God has commanded me to do and to obey. We become more concerned with our glory than with God's glory. Um, I think that that is our, our biggest sin. I don't want you to hear me say that in our deadness, we can have no intellectual assent of who God is because that's where I lived for a long time. Um, We can know who God is and not revere Jesus as Lord or Christ as chief ruler in our lives. Uh, I knew God for a long time. Like I said, I I grew up in the church, um, but I I didn't have that personal relationship with him, and in that was deadness. We talked about this last week, the difference of spirit and knowledge and of wisdom. And the word that is used in Ephesians, it's weightier and heavier than just like, yeah, I know who God is. It's an experience. So it's the difference between seeing a picture of a sunset over the Pacific Ocean and standing on the shores of Hawaii, which is where we lived when I was younger, with the the salt in your hair and the sand in your toes and, and seeing the color spread across the ocean. It's, it's an experience. Um, and I, I think that that's where I missed it for a long time. I was okay in my intellectual ascent of God, and I didn't... I was chief authority of my life. I didn't need Christ um, to save me because I was good enough on my own. Um, Our study asked us, I love this question, if a dead person who has no spiritual pulse becomes spiritual on her own, no. They are dead and they cannot resuscitate themselves. But I think the bigger question is, why does this matter? This matters because the saving and the awakening has to be done by somebody else. Um, We simply cannot save ourselves. And I think that this explains a lot of what's going on in the world. We talked at our table about just destruction and deadness and chaos that's going on. And people without Christ just perpetually live in that. Uh, And that explains the vast brokenness that's going on. Not only were we dead, we were disobedient. So we were dead in our trespasses and sins because we were following the influences of Satan in our sinful flesh, these transgressions are deliberate sins. They're not just oopsies and, and decisions that we accidentally make, like that, that's how sin works. Um, they're trespasses against God, and they're out-and-out out defiance. Um, I think I see this a lot in my nieces and nephews. And I'm like, why are you doing that? But I, I fail to realize that I, I do the same thing. It just looks different um, as I get older. And not only were we disobedient, I think we were content that way. So, I feel like I just put Romans and Ephesians, but I didn't know where else to go. So, Romans 3:10 through 12 tells us, "No one is righteous, no not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside and together we have become worthless. No one does good, no not one." So, the farther I get into Ephesians, the more I realize I'm not a good person, and there's a crisis of faith that is coming at the end of verse 3, where we find out that we are depraved and we are doomed. So the course of the world, the power of the world, are the mindsets, customs, and practices of those who are estranged from God. They are in direct opposition to God and his people. This is true of us before we are in Christ. I think one of the harshest realities that I had to face when walking through this with my mentor was that um, part of being dead is having a sinful appetite. So my, dis- my actions were sinful because my appetite was sinful. We are encouraged to disobey from the world, the devil and the flesh of our very selves. Uh, This means that there's more to blame. There's a lot to blame for the evil around us um, when we want to say, well, no, no, no. My life only looks like this because she does this to me. We have a part in that. Um, We have a part in that. This goes back to Adam and Eve in the garden. So we have been following the schemes of the devil since Adam and Eve made the decision to not trust him, to not trust God in Genesis 1. So in our deadness, we want the lies of the devil to be true so we can continue to sin and be justified in doing so. If Satan convinces us that the word of God is fallible or that he cannot be trusted, he wins. And we see later in Ephesians 2 and Ephesians 6 that he does not prevail because Christ is on the throne. Um, and, and this whole heavenly places and the spiritual realm, that's a big part of Ephesians. Um, But then our study asked us, how does the course of the power of the world and the prince of the power of the air relate to the passions of the flesh? James 1, 14 through 15 tells us that each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. This pattern is abundant in Scripture. It is not not special to um, the saints in Ephesus. Uh, And so... This spiritual nature means that we need somebody into Christ to redeem us and give us his perfect righteousness. So I was talking about this with a friend, and she said that through Adam, we get death because of his sin, and in Jesus, we get life because of his unsin, which we're trying to change that vernacular a little bit. Christ's righteousness is what allows us to be redeemed, not Jesus's unsin, which is That's just playing in my head right now. So how does this play out in everyday life? There are some questions that I had to face when walking through this for the first time. Um, What parts of your flesh need to be crucified? Am I making compromises in my flesh to honor the culture we live in? Am I conforming my lifestyle to those around me instead of living sacrificially? What do I perpetually believe will satisfy the longing of my heart to only leave me broken or alone? Am I living by religious fervor to build up self or to further the kingdom? Um, these were some hard concepts and ideas that I had to walk through, um, and graciously my mentor helped me through those things. This is a question I did not like answering. When was the last time you reflected on the wrath and eternity in hell that you were once destined for? This is not the, like, ooh, Jesus loves you verse that we like to think of in scripture. This is the reality if we would have continued to, on the path of Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. And, we, and I think we cannot fully understand the value of what we have been saved to unless we understand what we have been saved from. When was the last time you reflected on the bondage you were once in? Bondage to believe the lie that Satan attempts to convince us of, the ways of the world and the cravings of our flesh. The results of all of this, is being dead, disobedient, depraved, and doomed. And that means we're the subject of God's wrath. God's wrath is his righteous judgment upon evil. This judgment was our inheritance, which sounds different than the inheritance that Lenny talked about in Ephesians 1. So what changed? We see that God did something for us. Um, And this... The reason I wanted to spend so much time in in 1 through 3 is because I think that we believe that we're pretty good people um, and that I can do things to get God to choose me. I can do things to get God to love me, and that's, that's not the reality of our hearts. Um, and this is a concept like I, I really have to wrestle with, that I'm not a pretty good person um, and that, there's, that something had to be done to get me to heaven. So we see that in God's work for us. Ephesians 2, 4-7 through says... But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Verse 4 brings a shift. We were dead, but God. We were hopeless, but God. We were selfish, devious, and following the desires of our flesh, but God. We are now with hope. We are now with purpose. I think the entire Bible can be summed up in these two words. Uh, God came to the scene of death and rescued us um, with his mercy, which is abundant and infinite infinite and without end. Romans 5, 8, again tells us that, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ did this when there was nothing lovable inside of us. He chose us with nothing worthy of being chosen. We don't deserve this. Um, We deserve the wrath that we just talked about. Something that I thought was interesting was Paul saying that God being rich in mercy. And so why mercy and not love? And this can get a lot Deeper, um, but on basis of God's love, that alone cannot save us because our sin is a. I don't. I think that's right. Our sin is a legal transaction against God, so there has to be a pardoning of our sins before Him. So while God does love us, our sin are those trespasses and those transgressions against Him. So God's mercy, the definition of God's mercy, is not getting what we do deserve, um, which is, which is death. Romans 6 tells us that our, the wages of our sin is death. So God's mercy is not giving us that punishment. So it's God's mercy. How oh, good, it is up there. Um, I think that one's on the wrong one. We're going to come back to it. Okay. Okay. Um, this is why they stand down there, because they're tall enough to see the screens. Um, so, uh, Okay. The basis of our salvation is God's love in addition to his mercy, and we'll see later that the result of this is promoting his grace and kindness. Why does God's kindness matter? Because Romans 2.4 tells us that God's kindness is what draws us to repentance. Um, this is different than every other religion, that the Godhead would come down to his people to rescue him, or to rescue us, that we don't have... we we don't have to because we can't do anything to get um, God to love us. So I threatened to put a lot of rap songs in my talk, and instead I just referenced them on a slide at the end. But um, there's a song that says, what love is this he sent his own to die for sin and bring us home. Got me feeling good, forget my feelings. When you heard a story about the hero dying for the villain, and I... My husband laughs at me because I cry while we're listening to rap in the car. But that—that that is a, we're the villain. And that is not what we, I think, probably, especially in America, want to think about. Um, but Jesus entered the trajectory of humanity and changed our course forever. 1 Peter 2, this is what I didn't see, it's on the other page. 2.24 tells us, He bore our sins and his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live in righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. This concept of but God has been an anchor for my soul these last three years. Um, Chris and I got married in January. He lost his job in April. So just three months later, he decided to go to college. Um, And that was a difficult transition for us. We've mourned the loss of babies through miscarriages with our sisters and the loss of marriage through divorce with some of our family members. We've had deep hurts in relationships that have been marred through these last three, three years. And there's been times when my prayer is like, God, show me the but God in this situation. And so when you believe these words, it changes your life forever. Um, I I don't have to have the answers because I know, but God is at work, but God is good, but God is able, but God is merciful. Um, And I just, I keep going back to Ephesians 2.4. So God has also made us alive and exalted. The village church in Flower Mound, Texas explains the gospel as this. The gospel is not about making bad people good, it's about making dead people alive. Um, I'm going to say that again because I resonate on this a lot. The gospel isn't about making bad people good. It's about making dead people alive. And in that aliveness, we start looking more like Christ. So if we look at the words through Ephesians 2, 4 through 7, we see that we are made alive, raised up, and seated in heavenly places. Our life reflects the life of Jesus Christ. Um, we talked about being raised. This is tremendous, tremendous news. This means that the same power that resurrected Christ from the dead is in us. What raised him from physical deadness raises up, us up from spiritual deadness and allows us, gives us the strength to crucify the flesh and to say yes to the things of God. Um, this power makes us look more like Christ, but it's his power that does this for us. In our Hebrew study, we talked about the significance of Christ being seated on the throne. That means that the work is finished, um, and the priests in the Old Testament wouldn't sit down until the sacrifice and that whole rich, that whole system um, was finalized. So this is encouragement to us that the fight is over and that we are currently seated on the throne with Christ, which is a weird already and not yet situation. Um, but we are living in that heavenly realm with the battle over the. This, the evil spirits here already won. We have been, discussed what we have, we were saved from, but now we need to talk about what we are saved to. And that starts with um, saying we have been saved. This is a tricky tense, and I, I feel like I don't always understand it. But in the Greek, I put the word, I think, up there, because I'm not going to try to say that. Um, but it, it, it's a perfect tense. So it means... We have been saved. We are saved, and we will be saved. So it's it's an ongoing um, action. So this is good news. This is us being marked with the Holy Spirit. This goes back to um, God's goodness in justification, sanctification, and glorification. So justification is God declared us righteous. That's when we were saved. Um, We are moving forward towards glorification when when God will conform all believers to Christ's image. And now we're in this already-not-yet-sanctification of progressively being made more like Christ. Um, Jen Wilkins says, "...the gospel is not limited to justification. Justification results in positional holiness. Sanctification results in practical holiness." But justification and sanctification are very good news. Both justification and sanctification are very good news. We are not merely saved from depravity. We are saved to holiness. Conversion entails consecration. And I think this is where it gets hard for people um, because we want, it shows the true nature of our hearts. Like when when things get hard or when we're not getting the blessings we thought we were supposed to get, then we we back out. Um, But there's goodness to come from sanctification. Uh, sanctification means that we pull out all the nasty roots that are in our heart and we give them to the Lord t- to kill. And and we start to look more like him. We don't always want the struggle, but the struggle is always worth it because the end result is always goodness for us and glory for God. Um, and I, I, the security that is in this is that God's, God's goodness to us and Christ's faithfulness to us is not based on our faithfulness to him because our faithfulness is futile at best. Um, and God is a pursuing God. And when I, when I think of that concept, I go back to Judges where he is, the whole cycle, they rebel, they cry out, he saves, he restores, they, they rebel, they cry out. Like God is a rescuing God and he intervenes for his people. Um. We see this whole story played out in the story of the prodigal son in Luke 15. So, the son that left, which is the son we focus on, is us. Um, the, the son tells the father, I wish you, dad, give me my inheritance so I could go. And the son followed after the passions of his flesh where he thought freedom and life was, and it left him <laughs> eating pig slop homeless, hungry, and desperate. And so he comes back to the Father. The Father is waiting for him to come home. He sees him on the horizon. It's not a surprise to him. He was anticipating his return. He hugs him. He puts the the seal on him, the mark of the family on him, and he welcomes him back home. Um, Our Father, in addition to Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit, not only beckons us back home, but he provides the way for us to come back home with Jesus on the cross. All right, we got a roll for this next part. So God's work in us, in order to work through us, Ephesians eight two eight through ten. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing; it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in Him. The word that is used for workmanship in Ephesians is a beautiful word. It's where we get poetry from. This isn't an accident. It's a beautiful expression of God's affections towards us. For what were we created? To do good works on earth, where all our eternal status is seated and sealed. We're to faithfully live out those acts here to give glory to God. Um, Oh, yeah. Okay. So this is a hard concept because we don't do things to get God to love us. We do things because God does love us. Um, And. We do them because we are in pursuit of a greater intimacy with our Father. Uh, And no acts of service or specific action gains us access to heaven or closer access to Christ. These acts will naturally overflow as we move closer in relationship to the Father. Um, You have been redeemed not only for, but to a purpose. You haven't just been saved to be saved. You've been saved because or saved because God is good. Well, that is right and true, but you've been redeemed to and for a purpose. 1 Peter 2.9 tells us that the purpose of us being set apart and called God's people is so that we may declare the excellencies of our God. The fact that God prepared them beforehand takes all of the pressure off of us. Um, Something that we don't like to hear is that means it also takes the glory from us. Um, But this is good news, that I don't have to be creative in how to serve God, or I don't have to judge where my status before him is. Um, And I think that because it is finished, our striving can cease. We don't have to scurry around and try to make the house perfect. We, we, We can sit and we can rest and we can worship. Um, and this isn't a call to do all the things. I got to do all the things. No, that's this isn't a call for that. Um, this is a call to do the things God has called you to do, where God has called you to do them. Um, and I, we were talking at our table, and, and Amy mentioned this, that my husband and I have worked with the youth for four years. So for Chris and I, this looks like saying yes to the things that are presented to us in the church, Like, hey, we need you to walk alongside this girl going through this. Yeah, when can I meet her? Hey, we need you to do this with this, this guy. Yeah, when can we meet him? Like, it, it's saying yes to where we are because we feel like God has called us to, to be with the youth. Um, I think this is the choose this day whom you will serve passage of Ephesians. So the recognition of the work Christ has done for us must change the way we view our sins, the way we treat others, and the way we take part in the works God has given his people. While the presence of sin remains, its penalty and power over us died on the cross with Christ. We're able to choose him and his ways. We are free to die to self and exalt our king. So what does this look like practically? This means we can now be obedient because we're following Christ's example. This means we are energized and guided by the Holy Spirit. We are the object of God's affection, and we are walking in good works due to being made alive and seated with Christ in heaven. Um, we, we can't choose our old nature anymore. We have this new nature in Christ um, to, to follow. And it's, it's, when there's two lists, it's really easy to see which one we should fall under. Even when I'm tempted, so sometimes I have to ask myself, what lie of the devil am I, t- am I tempted to believe to push me to the left side of this, this category? Um, what am I choosing? Which way am I choosing to go? So here's my charge. What good works is God calling you to? Last week, we talked specifically about the importance of the local church, and we'll talk about that again in Ephesians 3. So when I was like, what good works are we called to? My mind goes to our core values, which are a really, really good way to assess this for us. What is God calling you to surrender? Um, Maybe that looks like you're kind of where I was in 2014, a crisis of faith um, and you, you need to talk about that with your table leaders. That's fine. Maybe there's something, a personal struggle you need to surrender. We have support groups, divorce care, grief share, celebrate recovery. We have things like that here. Um, maybe the first step in a small obedience is showing up at church on Sunday mornings and sitting under the teaching of our pastors and elders. Um, this is a, my generation is not very good about this and We'll do the social things, but we don't want to surrender completely to the teaching that is over us. Um, Surrender is hard. Community. Is God calling you to join a community where the acts of sacrifice are lived out, where accountability comes in and helps you die to self and say yes to the things of God? I'm a personal, like... Results of this, there are women in my small group who are here, and we've walked through some really difficult things together. Um, community has been very important in the sanctification process for me. Or missions. Is is God calling you to a mission? Is he calling you to give to a mission? Is he calling you to serve parachurch organizations? Like, there's always Foster Loveville County, the 411 house. Um, we have embraced grace here, which I think is amazing. So... What is God calling you to do, and what steps of faith must you take towards obedience? Specifically, I want to challenge you to look at that in the local church. Resources. So, I feel like we get up here, and we say a lot of things, and then it's kind of like, where do I go from here? How did you get these ideas? I go to rap songs, because (laughs) that's what my husband, he has this tattooed on him. Like, I, I remember this when I see him. Um, and Lyrical Theology is a wonderful CD. So he, he has songs that he puts to beats, and it just kind of, when you put it on repeat, it helps you understand stuff. Shilin also has a CD called Jesus, Kid, Jesus Kids, which is really good. So it's theology for children. His wife is Blair Lynn, if any of you have read her works or her stuff. The rap song that I said about uh, the hero and the villain is the song 116 by Trip Lee, um, featuring KB and Andy Minio, so that's based off of Romans one sixteen, and then a book that really helped me through all this is Recovering Redemption by Matt Chandler, who's the pastor at um, the Village Church that I quoted earlier. Okay, I think I'm done <laughs> for now at least. Um, thanks. Let me pray for us. Um, our gracious and heavenly Father, I thank you for the women in this room. Um, I thank you that they are here because they have a desire to know you and your word more. I pray that uh, you will just enlighten their hearts as they leave and they meditate on these things. I pray that if there is spiritual deadness, that you will just awaken it um, and that they will be strong enough and bold enough in your Holy Spirit to answer those calls that are placed on them. We love you and we praise you. In your son's precious name we pray. Amen.